This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got my guest host, Graham Williams, with me today. Thanks for joining me, Graham. Always glad to be here. We have lots to talk about. Uh, we are going to be looking at uh, a solution for the folks out there that can't, good, can't get good cell reception in their cars. Uh, if you're like me and have a bit of a commute, you spend a bit of time on the phone. Well, I can probably uh, tell you every dead spot I hit on the way from uh, South Surrey into Vancouver and back. Well, there's something uh, that can help with that. We'll also be uh, chatting about BlackBerry and what they're doing with car technology now that uh, they're not as much into the whole smartphone uh, game. And uh, Bitcoin, uh, Hydro-Quebec getting into uh, cryptocurrency uh, mining promotion. Before we get into any of that, uh, we've got a lot of tech news stories. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Graham, but there's this thing going around on Facebook uh, called the Tide Pod Challenge. Yeah, it's a sort of Darwinism, I think, in action. This is... Uh, so explain. Explain to listeners what this stupid thing is about. So this uh, this started off as a bit of a gag. It was a, a meme that was spread through a number of different channels, YouTube and Facebook being one of them. And the idea here was that people were pretending to eat Tide Pods as a joke. And unfortunately, somewhere along the way, some you know, special geniuses out there uh, missed the pretending part and then began eating Tide Pods. Isn't that extremely poisonous? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, it's just, you, you ever have that moment where you just sort of have this resigned feeling that humanity is doomed? <laughs> this is one of those moments. But um, this was uh, making its way across Facebook. It was Facebook and, and YouTube and like just booming everywhere, people uh, videotaping themselves eating Tide Pods. Um, so thankfully, uh, Facebook and YouTube are now removing those videos because we do not need to see the spread of stupid. Okay, thank right you. Like Finally, these guys are pulling down stupid content. Yeah, yeah. Just doesn't, we don't, we don't need to see it. So let's just pretend that it never happened and whistle quietly whenever anyone brings it up. Uh, talking about uh, tech and security, huge story this week was the... Uh, false missile warning uh, that was texted out to all Hawaiian uh, cell phone users caused mass panic, you know, for I think 35 minutes, uh, people in Hawaii thought uh, a missile was coming for them. Yeah, it, this, it actually said, this is not a test right on your phone. Uh, we, we saw uh, videos of kids being uh, shoved down into storm drains uh, in an attempt to protect them. It was 38 minutes from the time when the, the warning was issued to when uh, it was rescinded which is a really long time for someone who has clicked the wrong button to go about fixing that. And that's all it was. Someone did a, a wrong click on a drop-down menu. Yeah, so essentially, I mean, this is a system that involves all of your major players, your Verizons, your Sprints, that sort of thing. Um, and there is supposed to be some testing involved in that. Of course, instead of having this regulated, we left it up to these um, you know, big telecommunications companies and they did what they want to do. And they cut one hell of a corner with this. So this was not tested and it had bad UI design and one click and suddenly you've got people in Hawaii scrambling for uh, basements and storm drains and whatnot. Well, uh, the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency is taking a lot of heat uh, over this and probably rightfully th so, but there's a bit of an update on this. Yeah, so essentially the uh, the password uh, for the application was stuck onto a sticky note on the terminal that it belongs to. <laughs> I wish I were joking. And so how did they find this? Uh, well, it was actually you know, when they did an audit of the station. The person who uh, clicked the wrong button has since been reassigned, preferably to a workstation that doesn't have a mouse. Um, but yeah, they, they did find that this was there. And um, of course, the password was fully available. And uh, apparently it's, you know, the type of password I think that you probably have on your luggage. So 
really, really regrettable stuff. That kind of freaks uh, freaks me out. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, a lot of people got Google Homes for Christmas. I have uh, a few of them in my home now because they are all kinds of awesome. A lot of people are concerned about security, uh, but now uh, there was another issue that uh, they were overloading home networks. Yeah, so essentially uh, this was sending out hundreds of thousands of packets and packets are these little bits of data. We break data up and we send them across and it's reassembled on the other end, sort of the the high-level version of it. And so it was uh, basically pounding your network internally with hundreds of thousands of packets um, for each of these devices that was on there, which means that your network gets real slow, real quick. And uh, But there's a fix. There's a fix. This, this actually, the fix was issued on Thursday. And, uh, you know, hopefully I think everything for everyone is, is good. Again, um, this kind of, again, we kind of look back at Google and say, you guys test in production a lot. Um, so maybe a little bit more testing next time. Uh, but, the, you know, for a brief period of time, if you had a Google Home, you had a slow Google Home, but hopefully it's now back to speed again. You know, and I think, unfortunately, we're going to see more of these kinds of issues, uh, especially as we put more of these smart assistants in our home, which are listening all the time. Uh, Amazon with their Echoes had a few issues. Uh, Google with the Google Mini had uh, issues with them uh, listening. Yes. Uh, too much, yes. I guess. Yeah, and they, it, was, uh, it was listening constantly. And then there was also the issue with the touch panel on the top that was, uh, was not being responsive. But they actually had to disable at one point completely uh, before finding a fix that where they were able to re-enable it. Are you concerned about this? You're you're a tech guy like me. I I love what it can do, but the more I think about it, like we're putting all these listening devices in our homes, and um, they're not demonstrating a, a high level of <laughs> confidence in me with all these issues that they're having. Well, we're we're kind of dancing on the razor's edge right now. I mean, in my home, my front door lock is connected. Uh, my my lights are connected. Uh, you know, so there's there's a lot of stuff in there. My sound system is. And uh, we've actually seen stuff uh, where s- certain parts of these systems were accessible, uh, depending on the type of router that you were using or the type of speaker system that you were using. So, I mean, security vulnerabilities are going to happen. We have to recognize that. Um, and being able to live with that, I think, is going to be the, the most difficult thing. Having an analog backup to all this digital stuff is going to be important, right? Being able to flip on a light bulb is going to be important, uh, at, you know, just as much as your your digital dimmer is. So, yeah, yeah I mean, get used to it. Update on the uh, the iPhone battery issue, and I kind of like what's uh, happening here. Tim Cook says the next iOS update will allow users to disable the intentional battery slowdown. This one's kind of an interesting one because this is it's rare that Apple will give people the you know active ability to make their experience worse. You know, Apple has this tendency to to, to know best, and in most cases, they actually do have a good reason for doing what they're doing. Um, if you're the type of person who's going to turn this off. Like, yes, your phone's going to run faster, um, but it's going to shut off when you go to do things faster. So there's actually no net benefit for you here. You have the choice and the freedom, uh, but that's a very, you know, freedom. It's really sort of the freedom to have your phone not work the way that it should. (laughs) Long story short, folks, the batteries are 35 bucks. Go ahead and get one. You know, Um, I know they're they're lined up actually right now. It's, I think, uh, yeah, it's March uh, for iPhone 6. Uh, If you've got an iPhone 6 Plus, I think it is. Um, because they're, they're, you know, everybody's going in and getting these things done. Uh, but, uh, you know, waste no time when one, when one is available, actually get that done, turning this feature off and speeding your phone up and and basically sacrificing the ability to use it at all when it shuts down, I don't think is the, is the right thing. It's good that, you know, Apple is, I I think they did the right thing. Yeah. You know, they're giving people the flexibility to do that. 
And that's great, but it's just it's the wrong move if you're an actual user expecting to be able to make calls on your phone. Uh, this was kind of interesting and weird at the same time. Nintendo's had some great success with their uh, new Nintendo Switch, which is their new uh, kind of hybrid gaming system. Uh, it's a console for the home, but it's so portable that you can actually take it with you on the go. Uh, they've sold millions of units. It's one of the fastest selling video games uh, systems out there right now. Uh, they have just unveiled Labo, a $69 US cardboard controller that you have to build yourself. <laughs> cardboard. Yes, cardboard. So here's the thing. You don't actually have to buy the cardboard off them uh, because they will send you the specifications where you can have, um, you know, either oh, you a don't 3D have to printer. buy the cardboard. <laughs> so nice of them. <laughs> uh, but this is actually, it's really cool. When you look at it, they've got a fishing rod. Um, they've got a backpack uh, that turns you into a giant walking robot with VR. Um, they've got all sorts of really cool things here. This is Possibly the most creative thing that I've seen out of Nintendo since the launch of the Nintendo Wii. I'm so excited about this. It's such a it's a really cool way. They, I mean, they say it's for kids and for for the young at heart, but this to me is the most creative expression of play that I have seen in video gaming since 2006. This is it's huge. You have a Switch. I have a Switch. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually I mean so there's there's two kits. There is the variety kit which has uh, the the steering wheel and the fishing rod and that sort of thing, and then there's the robot kit. Um, which basically, again, turns you into a giant walking robot. Um, this is going to be neat. I can tell you this year, I mean, if I, I don't know if we have a release date on this yet, uh, but this is going to be a big seller this year for sure. Uh, do you think it's doing so well because they had two good titles out of the gate? They had the Zelda title and uh, a Mario title? Honestly, yeah. And I think a lot of people have been looking at this and saying it's great gaming. Uh, it's great gaming on the go. And they've also signed a bunch of other really great titles as well. So you can uh, you can play Elder Scrolls Skyrim, which is this massive role-playing game. You can play the latest Doom game. So if you played Doom back in the uh, early 90s, the newest version that came out in 2016 is playable portable on the Switch. It's uh, it's really, it's taken gamers by storm and uh, it's it's doing incredibly well. So We have lots more to talk about on today's program. Uh, we will be uh, chatting about a solution for those people in their cars that get bad cell phone reception. We'll also be uh, looking into what BlackBerry is doing in the automotive uh, industry uh, as well. And of course, we will have our travel app of the week with Christina, or sorry, our app of the week uh, with uh, Christina. This is Get Connected, Mike Agarbo hosting. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. Still lots more talk to tech. Is uh, your car... Getting smarter than you? Well, we'll be talking with Brian Jackson about his thoughts on some of the things he saw down in the Consumer Electronics Show about all the uh, the tech that they're building into cars. Speaking of cars, uh, you know, one challenge I have when I'm driving into my hour-long commute is having bad cell phone reception. Well, on the line, uh, we've uh, got uh, a guest that has a solution for that. Uh, his name is Jeff Kudovich, and he has uh, got a solution called the WeBoost Drive Sleek uh, from Wilson Electronics. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. Jeff, uh, tell our listeners uh, in a nutshell uh, what your uh, your drive sleek or your WeBoost drive sleek can do for them. Yeah, great. So, yeah, we have a product called the the WeBoost drive sleek, and it's a, a cradle device. And what you do is um, you get, it's very easy to self install in your vehicle. And um, what it does is it, it helps amplify all available cell signals that are that are collected in the air at any one time, um, and then uh, couple those into your phone. So you have a much stronger cell signal into your phone, and it does the same thing in the reverse path where it, uh, it takes your cell phone signal, amplifies it so that it can reach a tower that, that may be further away, which 
uh, if you're driving in remote areas, it's it's very important and uh, you know to to maintain that connectivity. And lots of folks, as you're if you're driving, you probably have mile markers where you almost know to the almost to the the exact spot on the road where you're going to drop a call. And so what this product does is it it improves that cell signal so that it it helps provide that seamless seamless cell coverage as you're as you're transitioning from say one cell phone tower to the next. Um, and also in cities and urban areas, you know, with lots of tall buildings, uh, there's lots of um, blocking from that, right? So lots of cell signals get uh, get blocked or or reduced in their strength as they go through uh, concrete and steel, and, and even in remote areas, lots of trees and foliage as well. So um, so it's a great product. It helps um, helps allow you to maintain a uh, you know constant connectivity um, from your cell phone. I've seen a lot of these types of solutions in the past. Uh, you know, they're going for like, uh, you know, $30 or, or $40, and I've tried them, and they don't work. Why Why does yours work compared to these cheap cheap ones out there? Yeah, that's, that's a good question too, right? So yeah, there's lots of different ways to, to, I guess, maybe to solve that issue. And so what we do uh, at WeBoost is it's a, it's a five-band, uh, multi-operator, simultaneous uh, amplifier system. And, and so what it does is... It collects simultaneously every signal that's in uh, that's in the air that it can pick up, and uh, separates those out, conditions them, and then amplifies each one of them, combines them, and then puts them all back in your phone. And so it's a it's a very powerful active amplifier system. And and some of those um, you you probably see those stickers or patches or other things that you can. Um, th- what those are meant to do is kind of just improve the the antenna that's inside. It doesn't do any amplification in a lot of cases, or or if it does, it maybe only does it over one frequency band. Um, and in Canada, North America, for example, there's you know there's at least five active cellular bands all at one time. And so so what our product does is that uh, it amplifies all of those, and, and there's a microprocessor based system as well. And so uh, the other thing it's doing intelligently is it's constantly scanning the the incoming signal level. Um, and it's something that's very important uh, for the operators. You know, this this product does operate in series between your phone and the cell tower. And uh, I think everybody's aware that, you know, the operators, they spend uh, vast amounts of money buying that spectrum uh, and deploying all that equipment. So um, having something that amplifies the signal in a safe manner so that it doesn't interfere with the operators is very important for us. It's something we work very diligently in helping develop rules around those. And so what our product does is it, it automatically senses each band, too. So it detects every, uh, every three-tenths of a second what that outside signal is, uh, adapts to it, and adjusts the performance so that it's at its maximum level continuously. So there's, it's, there's quite a bit of, of intelligence as well as you know, uh, RF amplification circuitry in, inside each one of these devices. Do I have to be concerned on what cell phone carrier I'm with? Uh, no, so that's the beauty of our product is uh, uh, the one thing, if you're savvy, though, we do advertise exactly which bands. There are five simultaneously frequency bands which cover all the legacy 2G, 3G, 4G, and, and LTE, for example, as well. Um, and so that's the that's one of the main points about our system is uh, we call it carrier agnostic. Um, and so it's something that's compatible with, with all operators simultaneously. Um, and so it's it's even beneficial for a home if you have a family with multiple plans or operators or even have people in, a, in an office, small office or your home as well that come in with different operators. It uh, the, the beauty of the system is that it enhances all of them simultaneously. So it, it, it doesn't really matter which one you're with. Uh, everybody that's on uh, an active cell phone will, will enjoy the improved reception from it. Do you have to have this professionally installed or can people do it themselves? 
No, that's that's one of the other things. You know, the Weboos brand is a is a consumer product brand, and we've you know we've done a lot to continue to make this very easy and simple to install. And so this new drive sleek, for example, um, it's it's very intuitive, and we put a lot of thought into the packaging. So even just out of the box, as you open it, you'll see very simple, uh, very simple steps, all um, clearly labeled. You just put a little magnet mount antenna uh, on the outside of the vehicle. And then that plugs into the amplifier circuit, which is very small. It's only about two inches wide by six inches long. It's very pla- very light plastic module. Um, and then a simple cable goes up into the cradle where it has a vent clip mount where you can put it on your vent clip or put it in on your console, your cup holder, wherever. Um, and just in a few minutes, you're, you're up and running. Talking about uh, getting better cell phone reception in your car, the uh, WeBoost Drive Sleek. Uh, where can people get more information about this, Jeff? Uh, well, as always, you can check out our website, weboost.com. It uh, has all the information about this product, the Drive Sleek, as well as all of our others. Um, we're in uh, several retail locations as well in Canada, so Best Buy Canada is another, another location you could, you could purchase the product. Um, and as everybody knows, Amazon has everything, and so we're also you can find information on our products on, on Amazon as well as, as others. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. When we come back, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Still a lot more tech to talk in today's program. Next uh, segment, uh, we'll uh, be chatting about how uh, Hydro-Quebec is uh, looking to do some uh, cryptocurrency mining with their elect- uh, ex- extra electricity. On the line now, uh, though, we want to talk about cars and uh, BlackBerry getting involved with smart cars. Brian Jackson's on the line from IT World Canada, fresh uh, back from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. It's uh, good to be back in Toronto, although the weather was much better in Las Vegas. <laughs> was it like minus 50 there in Toronto? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been so cold and uh, snowy and rainy. It's just been an awful few weeks of winter here. Well, uh, let's let's talk about uh, car technology. Uh, I mentioned BlackBerry. BlackBerry, I think, uh, you know, a lot of folks know from uh, the BlackBerry smartphones. I think we all realize uh, that that world is over for them, but uh, they've made a, a big foray into uh, car technology uh, over the years, haven't they? That's right. It all started when they acquired QNX, a uh, Ottawa-based company. Um, in this acquisition happened in 2010, and QNX uh, makes an embedded operating system that shows up in uh, many places, including uh, nuclear power plants and different sorts of industrial settings, uh, but also in a lot of car operating systems to control things like the infotainment system and uh, other, you know, the acoustics of your car. So they've had years of experience in this, and BlackBerry, you know, at first they tried to incorporate this technology into their mobile devices. So back when they were doing the BlackBerry 10 operating system, some people will remember that attempt uh, to come back uh, into the smartphone market under Torsten Hines, the CEO at the time. And uh, maybe some of your listeners even remember the BlackBerry Playbook, the tablet that uh, they launched way after the iPad and um, didn't really go anywhere. But it was all based on this QNX operating system. And how prevalent is this in cars now? Extremely prevalent. Uh, They are in a huge percentage of cars that are in the North American market, Uh, more than half if you uh, look at what QNX is saying. And they work with major automakers from 
Ford um, and Nissan and and just right down the list. I mean, they really are um, at a, a different tier of the manufacturing process. They're, they're working with the companies that are selling uh, the major manufacturers their components to put in the car. And um, many of your listeners have definitely used a QNX made um device or operating system without even realizing where it came from. Also, uh, you were down uh, in Las Vegas, the Consumer Electronics Show. You uh, saw some, uh, a cool demo uh, with something called Nuance. Right. So uh, a lot of car technology on the show floor at CES, and it's been that way really since 2015 was a, a, a big year that we uh, self-driving car technologies in-car technologies, and lots of futuristic looks at how automakers are going to try and integrate IT components into their uh, into their cars and, and make the experience better for the buyers because it's a big differentiator for them, right? So Nuance, what they had uh, w- with their booth was a car technology that really demonstrated how in-car technology could try to anticipate uh, driver intent in the future. So uh, I've talked to you many times about these voice assistants like Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa. So Nuance has software that's also a smart assistant, and they can interpret uh, voice requests just like these other companies, and, and very they're very good at it. They have years of um, voice-to-text software experience and AI uh, experience, but Nuance doesn't want to sell directly to the consumer. They want to work with uh, companies that are trying to make their own brand of smart assistants. So automakers is a great area for that. So uh, first off, they can be, they see a future where you're in the car and you ask a question of your digital assistant, like, "Hey, where can I pick up a pizza for dinner?" Right, and then the uh, smart assistant on your vehicle can decide if Alexa is the best assistant to ask for that, or Google Assistant, or uh, you know some other service that exists at, at that time that perhaps the automaker is, has provided. So it sort of is this arbiter that uh, delegates uh, tasks among all these different smart assistants for you. But they even went to the next level with it, and this was a futuristic demo for sure. It's not something that's ready to go into your car console today, but they had this eye-tracking component. So there was this little sensor that would sense where you're looking from the driver's seat. So you're looking at your windshield, and perhaps you're looking at that pizza restaurant and saying, hey, can I get a pizza from there, or uh, can I make a pickup order from that pizza shop later? And then they would take your voice request, take your eye-tracking information, put it all together into what your intent was, and and figure it out for you and and do it for you. So that was a really interesting uh, look at the sort of intent prediction for computer algorithms. With all this uh, technology built into cars, should we be worried about security issues, like these things being hacked? Well, that's exactly where BlackBerry comes in with its uh, software, right? Because... Uh, I was talking to the BlackBerry chief security officer at the show, and, th- and that's exactly what I asked him. What, what are you worried about for attacks on, on cars? And he said that um, it, it is something to maybe grip the steering wheel a bit tighter because these days when a car comes off the production line, it's got millions and millions of lines of 
software code in it. And say there was only one vulnerability every 10,000 lines, that still adds up to many different vulnerabilities. And, and there's lots of different ways that you can get at a car's system, right? You could try and access it through the LTE connectivity, like the cellular connectivity. You could try and connect with its systems via a Wi-Fi connection or a Bluetooth connection. So when we talk about this concept of the attack surface and security, cars these days are ha have this huge attack surface, this huge potential for attackers to probe for vulnerabilities. So BlackBerry, with its new product called Jarvis, sort of automates the process of trying to find those vulnerabilities, find those problems in your code, and patch it up for you. So it can use artificial intelligence and go through thousands of lines of code for you, and it knows uh, you know, the, the vulnerabilities that um, are common, so it can find those. And it also knows what sort of compliance standards that you're trying to line up with, uh, thanks to all the uh, compliant code bases available uh, in the world, right? So it can check it against those as well. So that should be a big time saver for automotive manufacturers that want to make sure they're creating a really secure product and patching up all those vulnerabilities ahead of time. So our cars aren't going to become self-aware anytime soon. Well, I, I'm not promising anything. <laughs> We're talking with Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. I want to thank you for joining us today, Brian. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Mike. When we come back, the Quebec hydro company, crypto mining with their extra electricity. We'll find out what that's all about. Stay tuned. Well, we hear a lot about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency uh, over the past year. It's been a roller coaster ride for Bitcoin. Uh, going uh, all the way from nothing up to over $20,000 and back down to $10,000 uh, recently here. Looks like some other uh, government agencies want to get into this. Uh, Hydro-Quebec is actively trying to get Bitcoin mining operations to set up shop in Quebec and tap their unused power. We've got Alex Coop on the line from IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, this is kind of interesting. So Hydro-Quebec is trying to court uh, mining operations to come to come to their province? Yeah, and so they tried, Quebec tried to, in 2016, uh, they launched a campaign to try and attract big companies like Amazon and Facebook to come to Quebec and build new data centers, uh, new base of operations from where they can operate. And uh, the pitch... Um, was largely focused around the fact that hydro is is very cheap uh, to access uh, and cheap to tap into their grid compared to other cities in North America. So um, while they were trying to attract these big companies, uh, they also caught the uh, attention of cryptocurrency miners. Uh, and uh, mining cryptocurrency requires a tremendous amount of power. Um, and uh, so obviously cryptocurrency miners uh, reached out to Quebec as well. Uh, and uh, the last time I spoke to uh, uh, Quebec Hydro, uh, 35 interested parties had uh, uh, reached out to them. And while none of them have signed anything official, it seems like there are new ones knocking on their doors every day, uh, according to a spokesperson. So, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, they they were fishing for one thing and got something else instead. Well, Alex, uh, I mean, this is fascinating. Explain to our, our listeners kind of uh, in a broad sense what, what mining for cryptocurrency entails. Yeah. Well, 
I guess before we, we do that, we just have to maybe take a slight step back and just basically um, <clears throat> address the what what blockchain is, because basically um, Bitcoins and cryptocurrencies are basically um, Bitcoin is to blockchain what, what emails are to the Internet. So the blockchain is this new layer that people are slowly um, adopting, a new layer to the Internet. And this, this layer is a, a digital spreadsheet that can contain uh, very valuable bits of information like your identity, for example. And this blockchain will allow, uh, can allow you to um, upload your identity and, your, and other important, uh, important pieces of information, keep it under lock and key, and let other companies and services use it however they, however they want and however you want. Um, but in order for this system to work and for information to be put onto this blockchain and for uh, companies to perform transactions and other actions on the blockchain, um, it requires miners uh, and mining companies. Now, what these mining companies do is actually validate uh, and verify these transactions and all this other action that's going on on the blockchain. Um, so when a transaction takes place on a blockchain, um, a signal is sent out to miners who then ferociously with with massive computers, mega computers, they, they perform very complex uh, calculations and then they're rewarded with cryptocurrency or, or bitcoins, for example. Now, the reason um, this reward system is in place is to incentivize miners to come back and continually support the blockchain system for whichever company is using it uh, without uh, without these miners, uh, which is currently the most popular way of maintaining this infrastructure without the miners, uh, it would be very easy for for the blockchain and, and the system to collapse and, and be, susceptible, be more susceptible to attacks. So uh, right now, in these early stages of blockchain and cryptocurrency, these crypto miners are kind of the, the go-to uh, element when it comes to maintaining this system. Uh, so uh, a lot of countries, well, specifically China, um, they have kind of uh, outlawed cryptocurrency and mining pretty much altogether. So now they're flocking to Canada. Um, and our cheap hydro is a great place for them to set up because, uh, as I mentioned, uh, cryptocurrency mining takes vast amount uh, of power to perform. Um, and you, you can't do it with just a regular machine. You need, like, heavy-duty computers to perform these calculations. So that's... Uh, that's pretty much what's going on. Well, it's interesting because I, I know uh, a lot of friends that have actually uh, bought like a powerful computer with powerful video card, and they're they're mining for Bitcoin in their home. But these these um, these companies that are doing it uh, professionally as a business, I mean, they're they're getting banks of computers uh, to basically do this. That's right. Uh, you you need very specialized machines to to be able to do this, and um, when you're doing it on such a wide scale. Uh, on such a large scale, you you the, the environment for it has to be just right. Like um, you have to take into, into account that these machines create a lot of heat, so you have to have some kind of cooling system. Uh, another reason why companies are so attracted to Quebec uh, and other parts of Canada uh, is because of the climate. So they really they can save costs on on cooling, so their machines can can operate uh, much longer and not have to worry about. Um, catching on fire basically and, and <laughs> overheating so so that is a that's that's another thing and um, 
yeah, you you know you can certainly get into the the mining game to some extent with a uh, you know a, a an admirable machine from home that you can you know build yourself. But if you um, you're not going to be competing with with the big players who are now uh, setting up shop and, and creating like multi million uh, dollar companies out of it. Do you think we'll see uh, other uh, hydro companies, like in BC, for example, uh, try to woo some of these uh, these companies? It's it's certainly a possibility. Uh, you can't rule it out. Uh, I think I think maybe that would happen once some of these companies that are expressing interest in Quebec actually uh, make something official. Uh, so once once the uh, once it, once that scene sort of gains traction in Quebec and, and governments in BC and, and elsewhere sort of see, oh, okay, they're actually taking, uh, they're making serious commitments. Maybe we should be doing the same. Uh, then, yeah, certainly, there's there's uh, you can't rule out the fact that that's uh, that that's a possibility. Well, the crypto miners might be coming to your province. We uh, are talking with Alex Coop from IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. When we come back from the break, it's App of the Week time with Christina. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. Got a bit of time left. We're going to find out what's happening in the app world with Christina, who's also one of the hosts of the app show with uh, myself and Graham Williams. Sundays here on Seeking W980, 10 a.m. You got to check it out. It's uh, the latest and greatest apps, and we tell you all about them. What do you got for us? I have an app to help you make GIFs or GIFs, however you decide to call them. The little uh, moving pictures. Uh, what's it called? It's called Memento. And what's good about this one? I've seen a few of these before. So this is one of your options for creating GIFs okay. or GIFs. Yeah. Um, this one looks for collections of photos in your photo reel and then turns them into little animated GIFs. And uh, is it pretty easy to use? It's super easy to use. It even adds little features like zooming, like a zooming function to... Uh, give the illusion of zooming in and out of the photo and things like that. Very cool. Very cool. And again, it's called? Momento. Momento, app of the week. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. We're giving away a tiny tell little uh, watch slash GPS tracker for kids. Slap one of these things on your kids. You can track them down anywhere. And it also takes and makes phone calls. So, you know, your kids are probably asking you for a cell phone or a smartphone. You give them one of these kind of their uh, first step into the communication world. And the bonus, you get to keep track of them no matter where they are. Tiny Tell, it's a contest we have going on, getconnectedmedia.com. That's all the time we have left. Mike Agarbo signing off. I want to thank uh, all the folks that helped put the show together and uh, Graham Williams and Christina Stoyanova for coming in today. Tune in to The App Show tomorrow, 10 a.m. here on CKNW. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.